of pain and faith, and it's put together just in a beautiful way. It was written 25, 26 centuries ago. Probably the most beautiful writing in the Old Testament and also the most neglected. It's right after the book of Jeremiah. So if you want to look that up as you pass about your Bibles, Jeremiah wrote it, and that's why they put it after the book of Jeremiah. And our theme for Lamentations is it's never wrong to cry out to God. When we're feeling pain, we need to let the Lord know about that. And we're going to talk today about chapter 2. And if you'll look at the book of Lamentations, go ahead and shout out the page number when you get to it, because it's all the same in the Bible out there. A little bit hard to find. 621. So go ahead and turn to that page in your Bible. You can see Lamentations. You can see how it's put together. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to look at chapter 2 today. And chapter 2 has to do with just a horrible disaster. And we're going to talk about the disasters in our lives and how we react to them. We can't control what happened to us, but we can control how we react. How we respond to the big challenges in our finances, our health and strength, our relationships, our vocations, all of those things. How do we respond to those things as believers? And Lamentations is a, probably one of the best books around for that. We're going to talk today about the headwinds of life. And I don't know what it is about bike riding, but I almost never feel like I get a tailwind. I, I feel like no matter where I'm riding, maybe it's just because I'm a wide body, the, the wind just goes against me or something. I don't know what it is. But I do have a real hard time with that. And I just wish I felt more of a tailwind when I was riding a bike. There's nothing worse than riding uphill against the wind. It's just the worst there is. And we face headwinds in life when we're working really hard and we don't see a lot of fruit for our labors. Because sometimes there is really no correlation between the effort we're putting into life and the results we're getting. And other times when we're not working that hard, the results come easily. And it's hard to know what to do when we're facing headwinds. And sometimes those headwinds get really, really fierce. Uh, we first bought our little 13-foot 1965 trailer back a few years ago, and the day we bought it, we had to come down the switchbacks into the desert, and the wind was blowing at 70 miles an hour. Well, that turns a little trailer into a box tent, you know, it, it, a box kite. It's just flying around back there. You're, you're doing the best you can with it, but headwinds are really challenging, and some of you are facing headwinds in your lives, and if you're not right now, you will. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to react to those headwinds? The book of Lamentations was written around the great catastrophe, the greatest catastrophe of the entire Old Testament. What had happened was the city of Jerusalem was established by King David, and his son Solomon built the temple there. And God made a covenant with David that as long as the kings were faithful, that there would always be someone sitting on the throne, and the temple would last forever, and Jerusalem would be here to this day, and all these great things would happen. And for 400 years, 400 years after King David, things got progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. And the warning light kept coming on in the car. Now, I've got a car that's so old that the warning light just tells me the car is still working. But uh, uh, the warning lights are coming on, you know, and there's, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to work on these things. And the people weren't paying attention. And God was warning them because they were going after other gods. Now, what's wrong with going after other gods? 
after all, is God some kind of jealous girlfriend who just gets mad at people for dating other, other gods? What's going on here? Well, the reason, the reason he's upset is not because he's this, this uh, uh, high-maintenance God or anything like that. The reason he's upset is because when people lose touch, that's us too, with the power that brought us into existence, ever stop to think about where you were before the light came on in your head for the first time? That, that power that brought us into existence, if we lose touch with that and its plan for us, and that would be the Lord, things go badly. We lose touch with our identity, with what we're here for, with creation, with everything. And when a society or when people lose touch with our creator, our lives go badly. Now, our lives can go badly even if you are faithful because we face challenges no matter what. But at least we don't cause those problems. We cause problems by being off track. And the people of Israel were way off track. And the city was crushed, absolutely crushed. And Jeremiah, the prophet, was sitting there thinking, what are we going to do about this? And he wrote Lamentations as the city was burning. And the people of Israel, they, they were thinking, so our identity was wrapped up in the temple. Our identity was wrapped up in having a king that was descended from David. Our identity was wrapped up in running this whole area from the city of Jerusalem. Who are we now? Our identity was wrapped up in the priests doing their things. Our identity was wrapped up in the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. Who are we without those things? It's like if someone were to come in here to America, take away our flag, take away our language, take away our money, give us some other money, um, dismantle all of our institutions and blow up everything, who are we then? What does it mean to be an American if all of that stuff is gone? And they even lost their language. So they lost everything. And they had to ask ourselves, who are we now without all this stuff? And we have to ask ourselves those things too, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But go back and look at your book, your Bible here, and look at Lamentations. How many chapters are there? Five chapters. We're on chapter two. If you look at the picture on the screen, you can look at the, the four major blocks there in the arch from left to right. One, two, three, four. And the one in the middle, that face there, that's called the capstone of an arch or a keystone. And what we have is this beautiful cathedral of pain that he writes about the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapters one and chapter two it crescendos up here, and it gets really bad in chapter 2. If you want to get really depressed, read chapter 2 straight through. Then chapter 3, which is the best chapter, which comes next week, which pivots the whole thing, where he gives you an answer for who we are without all these things. And then you have chapter 4 and chapter 5. So we're on chapter 2 right now. That's where we are in the book. And it is beautifully crafted. It's an alphabet poem. What's an alphabet poem? An alphabet poem is a poem. Each chapter, one, two, three, four, and five, he fails to do it. We'll talk about that when we get to there. But has 22 verses, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and he uses that to create structure in the language because there's so much chaos outside. And he creates this beautiful structured poem to impose some order on an incredibly disorderly situation where most people lost most of the people in their families. 
So who is our family now with three-fourths of us dead and the rest of us going off into captivity? Who gets the inheritance? There is no inheritance. Who's married to who? I don't know. That marriage has just been destroyed by this, that, and the other thing. I mean, now we're all slaves. So what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Who are we now? So a lament, a lament is what this book is about. A bunch of the Psalms are laments. Laments are healthy. Laments are healthy grieving. Linda and Kathy put together a, a great teaching on that on our YouTube video. I hope you have a look at that, at healthy grieving, what that's like as opposed to unhealthy grieving. Lamenting is healthy. You examine yourself. You look for God in the situation. Where was God in this meltdown that I had, in this failure? And we all have failures. We don't like to talk about that in America, but we all have failures. The average American gets fired twice. Half of our marriages don't make it. Most of us see some red ink in our checkbook from time to time, and things go wrong. So when that happens, where is God in those things? And we look at the situation itself with really clear eyes. That's what lamenting is. That's what Jeremiah is doing. Unhealthy is just complaining, grumbling. It's externally focused. We're blaming everyone else. Who thinks this is an epidemic in America right now? We're blaming everybody else for everything that's going on. It must be those people that are doing this. And we never look at ourselves. Lack of self-awareness and a lack of sense of where God is in this. When Kim was leading worship just now, she was trying to help us become aware of God's presence in good things and in bad things. So do you understand the difference between lamenting and grumbling and unhealthy complaining? Lamenting is really, really healthy. Let's look at Lamentations 2, verse 9. Her gates, the city gates of Jerusalem, have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken, the bars that held the, the uh, doors shut, broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. Who are we now that the law even? And the law talked about how to do sacrifices. We can't do sacrifices because we don't have a, a temple. What do we do with this now? What do we do with the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament? And the prophets, except for Jeremiah and a few others, were proven to be wrong, and we're going to talk about that. They were speaking lies to us. That being the case, who are we without the law and the prophets? Even Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. Who are we without even the law and the prophets? Because the prophets have been lying to us. And how do we fulfill the law without a temple? So they're really in trouble at this point. Who are we? What is my identity? That's the question they have to ask. Where is God in this? Who are we without these things? Are we blaming others? Or do we see some of this caused by some of our own behavior? What can we learn from this? Best question we can ever ask ourselves when something goes wrong. What can we learn from this? was talking with Tim before the service, and he had quite an adventure with his car this last week as he went up to central northern California, and he, he says, I'm looking for what, I can, what the Lord can teach me in this. And there's always something the Lord can teach us in every situation. What can we learn from this? Let's look at Lamentations 2.14. Once again, the prophets have failed them. Your prophets have said so many foolish things false to the core. 
They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures filling you with false hope. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was asked, should we be preaching positive things or negative things from the pulpit? He says, my job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I think there's something to that. There's something to that. They were comfortable, and they should have been afflicted, and instead, people were comforting them and saying, oh, you're doing great. You're doing fine. The city's going to be here forever. Never going to uh, disappear. Now, in the book of Jeremiah itself, which precedes, you can see that in your Bibles if you flip backwards just a little bit, the book of Jeremiah itself, 7-4, says this, don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because of the Lord's temple. This is before the destruction of Jerusalem. Don't be fooled by all the prophets saying, because the temple's here, we're fine. Don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. So we're going to be fine when the Babylonians come. Never mind the dry rot in their culture, which was the problem. The problem wasn't the Babylonians. The problem was the dry rot in the culture that had no backbone left anymore. And they couldn't withstand them on their own. Well, being the language nerd that I am, I looked at this verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, verse 4, and I looked it up in Hebrew, and it says three times, Hekal Yahweh, Hekal Yahweh, Hekal Yahweh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Well, I'm not satisfied with the English translation of temple, so I look up the root meaning of the word, and the root meaning of the word is the powerhouse. So what they were saying was, the powerhouse of the Lord, the powerhouse of the Lord, the powerhouse of the Lord. His power comes out of here, and therefore, the temple won't be destroyed because the Lord's power is there. Isn't that interesting? Hekal means powerhouse. If you look at this, this is uh, from Grand Coulee Dam. These are the generators, which are spinning with all the water coming through. That's a powerhouse. And that's what they were saying. This is the Lord's spiritual powerhouse, and it will never be taken. And Jeremiah is saying, hey, it's just a building if you guys are not doing what the Lord says. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's just a building, and it will come down. And it did. And it did. And that's tough stuff. So I want to ask you and me the question. I don't know about women, but when guys get together, the first question we ask is, what do you do? What do you do? And our vocation is part of our identity. I tell people I work with power and light. No, I don't. I, I tell them that uh, I'm a Bible teacher at a wonderful congregation, and we just talk about that. But then I'm hesitant to say that because then they want to label you with a, vo with a vocational label, and that is not all that you are. And guys are often satisfied with that. Oh, yep, you're, you're a bricklayer, you're a painter, you're, you, know, you work on cars, whatever it is you do, you're sales. That's okay, great. Um, who are you without your vocation? Who are you without your profession? Who are you without your home, your address, or your hometown, or the story of your origin? Who are you without your education and degrees? And I work every Tuesday at Concordia University here in Irvine, and let me tell you, those titles are important to people, very important to people, as to promotions and tenure and all that kind of stuff, and who's got them and who doesn't. 
who has a PhD, who doesn't have a PhD, who's working on it, that kind of thing. Who are you without your so-called net worth, which is really just how much money you have? Some of you think I'd be a lot better out, better off without my net worth because it's upside down. But anyway, who are you without your family role? Husband, wife, mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, uncle. Who are you without those roles? Who are you without the stories that make up your life, the story of your life? Who are you without your looks and your popularity or lack thereof? Uh, who are you without these things? Because there is a you in there, and that's what Kim was talking about. There's a spirit inside of us that is not beholden to these things. And that's the part of us that has a relationship with God. God doesn't care about our PhDs and our net worth. God cares about who we are without these things. And he had to take these things away from Israel so they could figure out who they were. And they did figure out who they were. And they rebuilt the temple. And they got things started again. They got back into the word. And Jesus was born during the second temple period because they figured out who they were. And my question to you and to me is, who are we without all those things? Because that's the part of you that the Lord delights in. That deepest part of you. Your true identity. The Bible says he will give you a name that is new, a secret name that nobody knows because that's who you are to him. Believe it or not, you're not Joan, you're not Kathy, you're not Kim to him. You're, you're something deeper than that, deeper than what your parents called you. So that's what Israel had to deal with. That's what we have to deal with because that's the part of you that God wants a relationship with you with us. And that's the part of Israel that he wanted a relationship with. And he got. And sometimes we need those things stripped away so that we can reestablish a relationship with God. So we can look at those those meltdowns in our lives as a time to figure out who we really are in relation to God. And once we figure that out, then a whole bunch of things get easier. Wendy and uh, John and uh, Stan Katawaki and David Beaver, who's part of our online community, went to the Foursquare Gathering this last week. And I just was so excited about one insight, it's one phrase, and I'm trying to pray my way through it. I already talked to Alan about it this morning. It meant a lot to him, too, because he saw what I said about it. And this has to do with the headwind. Remember we showed you the headwind at the beginning? Is your life a life of fighting for victory, trying to get wins in your life, or is your life fighting from victory that the Lord has won through his cross and resurrection. Because of his victory, we fight on from victory, not toward victory. The battle has been won, and that changes our mentality entirely. And this was Martin Luther's big insight in the Reformation. This was Paul's big insight in the New Testament, is that we live from the power that God gives us. The victory has been won. We live out of the victory, not trying to strive towards it. Does that make sense? And when we live out of it, we live in joy and in power and in faith. And it's a whole different way of being, a whole different way of reacting to things that go badly. And it's hard for me to do that because I was trained to strive because I was in sports. I basically ignored school and football and track were everything, and uh, and you know bringing some girl to homecoming or something. It, 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 I wasn't real focused on important stuff. 
And in, in doing that, I think I was trained in athletics and later on in academics to strive for certain things. And virtually every success in my life has not been from that. Virtually every success in my life has happened when I was resting in the Lord and operating in his power. My own striving has gotten me almost nothing. Those times when I've relied on the Holy Spirit and listened to him and taken advantage of opportunities that come my way that I did not earn and did not set up have been fantastic. The successes of my life have not been of my making. When you're facing the headwinds of life, stop doing that. Turn around, go the other way, and go with the wind because the Lord has already won the victory. If you operate out of a sense of joy, out of a sense of God's presence, out of a sense of the victory has already been won. Folks, in World War II, after D-Day, Stalingrad, and Midway, the war was over. It was just a matter of time. It took years to finish it. But there's no way the other side could have won after those battles. It was a matter of mathematics after that. Incredibly pivotal victories. And those victories have been won by the Lord. Do we still have struggles? Yes, we do. But the big victory is over. D-Day has happened. Stalingrad has happened. Midway has happened. And we're still fighting, but we're fighting from those big victories, not towards them. And when you operate out of the joy of the Lord's presence, it's different than going against the wind. If anybody could get an A for striving, it would be me. And it's gotten me nothing. But when the Lord gifts me with people in my path who've given me incredible opportunities and taught me things and given me shortcuts and advice and those kind of things, that's where I've moved forward. And it's been fun. You ever notice that? When you move forward, it's really fun, especially when you didn't have to do much to do it. And then you start to be grateful for those things. And the more grateful you are for those things, the more they start to happen. And the more you expect that person that crosses your path might know something you don't and might teach you something. It's wonderful to operate in the joy of the Lord and to swim with the current and not against it. In fact, when, when Paul was converted by the Lord on the way to Damascus, the Lord said to him, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? Because he was striving upstream. And he started to move with the Lord, and he changed the world. Changed the world. Opportunities the Lord gave him. So be looking for those things. Ephesians 1. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What do you suppose the resurrection meant to the disciples? It didn't mean, oh, there's an afterlife. We get to go to heaven when we die. They weren't thinking that. They already believed in that because Jesus had told them there is an afterlife. He taught about it. He came down very clearly on it. Lots of people in lots of cultures believe in afterlife. People in India believe in infinite afterlife, being reborn and reborn and reborn. It's not like, oh, Easter, now we get an afterlife. Most human beings believe in an afterlife. What they saw was a beaten and bloody body got resurrected into glory, and that told them that the power of God can change anything in our lives. 
with that power, they were willing to go to their death to tell people about it. And most of them did. Because this is the joy of the Lord, is out of that victory which Jesus won by walking out of the grave. From ashes to glory. This is great stuff. So there's nothing so broken in your life and my life that the Lord can't transform through the power of Easter because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, if you operate from that victory, your life will be different, and you will expect your interactions with people to be different, and you'll be on a mission rather than striving by yourself against the wind. And that power is little things. It's not just big things. I did something really stupid this week. I said to myself, self, I wonder how hot that little burner is on the, uh, on the um, uh, coffee maker, because I've never really figured out how warm that thing is. So I touched it with my index finger. Isn't that smart? You could fry an egg on that thing. It's hot. Let me just see how the... So, so I've got this huge blister here. And it's really hard because I've got all of this uh, fingerprint recognition stuff. And my, my, my computers aren't recognizing my finger. So if I want to you know, commit a crime, now's the time because my fingerprints wouldn't, uh, wouldn't match. But I did this. And it's... Crazy. My finger's putting itself back together. That might be a little thing. But this blister thing is cool. It's, it's, actually re, it's actually reconstructing the whole thing. Folks, that resurrection power is in us. Your body was designed to heal. Isn't that cool? I just looked at it and thank you, Jesus. You know, it's, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's awesome. It's awesome. And that's just a little part of what the Lord does for us. That power is in you. And I know this congregation really pretty well. We've been together quite a while, most of us. And the Lord has put you back together so many times. And it's been fun to watch it. I remember when Tamara once said, stick a fork in me. I'm done. Yeah, I remember that. He's put you back together lots of times. And the way he continues to move us forward, the pandemic hit. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we can't meet for church. What are we going to do? And the Lord opened up all these opportunities. Now we're reaching people all over the world and we're planting churches we never would have planted with people who started watching our podcast and our video. Did we, did we strive for that? No, it just, it, a, lot of, a lot of prayer. We were open to going where the Lord called us. And there we are. So, moving from striving into victory to striving from victory is moving from this. If then, if I do this, then this will happen, which is striving, to because of what the Lord's done, therefore I can do this. Do you understand the difference? It's a big difference, folks. It's a big difference. Martin Luther said 500 years ago, if I could have gotten an award for monkery, being a monk, I would have gotten it. I, I, I went to confession for hours a day till my confessor got bored and said, go out and get a life. I'm tired of listening to you, listing all your sins. Go do some gardening or something. Go do something else. Just, just stop it. And he realized, oh, my goodness, I can work from the power of the resurrection rather than striving towards pleasing God. Do you, do you realize that? Because there's nothing we can do to please God. He's done it all for us. And if we operate in that faith, everything starts to move in the right direction. The trick is not taking credit for it when things go really well, because it's easy to say, well, that was my striving. Generally it wasn't. Generally it wasn't. 
Definitely was something that we were blessed with because we were open to it. We followed the Holy Spirit to guide us. Invite the worship team back up. Next week, we are going to be talking about the capstone of the book. And probably, arguably, one of the most beautiful several, several verses in the middle of that chapter, which you can't read without choking up. And it's where Jeremiah decides he's going to respond to the great catastrophe in faith. And I'm just telling you guys, don't miss it. Don't miss next week. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Lord, we just give you thanks for the insights of Jeremiah, Lord. Uh, There's so many. We could spend a year on this book. We give you thanks for the, the power with which he wrote from. And that power came from you, Lord. The, your beauty flowed through his brush as he brushed out the, the Hebrew letters with ink. And Lord, teach us how to lament in a healthy way, not just complain. Lord, help me personally to shift from if then to because therefore. To shift from striving to thriving in your victory, which you've already won. Help me to be a soldier, Lord, after D-Day, not before D-Day. After Midway, not before Midway. The conclusion is finished, and it's in your hands. And we can be a part of the victory parade in our lives, Lord, even when terrible things happen. So, Lord, who are we without all those things? And how can that spirit, that soul that Kim was talking about, reestablish a relationship of power with you where your power flows into our spirit, into our soul, and gives us the courage, Lord, to face things. Lord, we give you thanks for the opportunities waiting for us out there this week, Lord, the people that cross our path, the people who have gifts for us. It's like you put Easter eggs out there for us or something. And we just have to keep our eyes open to those opportunities as they come. We give you thanks, Lord, that we are, despite all the brokenness in our culture, in our lives, that you have the way forward for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, in whose victory we fight. All God's people said, Amen. amazing takes me home trust in
till I see you face to face. Grace amazing takes me home. I trust in you. I will live to love you. I will live to bring you praise. I will live a child in all of you. Arthur Forrest that called the universe to be. child in all Child in all of you. I will live 
receive a blessing the Lord said. We pray that we would feel that tailwind of your spirit. And that we'd be awakened to his presence in our lives. Lord, we, we want to live out of the victory of your son, Lord, so that we can live to love you, live to praise you. And Lord, we pray that there'd be great joy, because if you strip everything away from our lives, Lord, there's a part of us that just rejoices in your presence. Help us to find that core of who we are every day and connect that person with you. And Lord, uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, and we can live out of that joy every day. We give you thanks for the gift of life, Lord, even when Jerusalem is falling and crazy stuff's happening in our country, Lord. You will continue to bless the, the faithful remnant and those who seek your face. We pray a blessing on each and every person as we go about our stuff today, Lord. And we pray that no matter what people eat after the service, it would cause them no calories. They would just, uh, that would be calorie-free eating today. And we pray that somebody here might connect with somebody they don't even know. And that might be a blessing today. We pray this in Jesus' name. You can't leave until you say hello to one, at least one person you don't know that well. And, uh, and it might be somebody who can be a great blessing to you. You never know. It'll keep us open to other people. And uh, you have one obligation, and that is to eat up all the food here before you leave because uh, it'd be good to get that taken care of. And Kim's hiccup came after the service. Yeah, That's, that was yours. Okay. Kim has a spiritual gift of hiccups. You should hear him sometimes. It's just it's something. Bless you guys. Have a great week.